The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value, and so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and welcome to another show on the um, Voice America Network on the Business Elevation Show. And today, um, I'm going to be talking with uh, Jeffrey Cologne. We're going to be talking about uh, disruptive marketing. But before we introduce uh, you to Jeffrey, I'd like to say a, a huge thank you to my guest last week, uh, Jeremy Bowley. And interestingly, I was talking to Jeremy not about uh, disruptive marketing, but about disruptive procurement. Um, so. Um, there's clearly a theme here. Um, and uh, if you're interested in uh, procurement, you're working in an organization and you're looking at ways of maybe procuring things differently, um, I think it was a really interesting and thought-provoking show with Jeremy. And uh, you know, he demonstrated to me some different aspects of procurement um, since my days when um, I used to lead procurement teams in organizations. So if you're interested, do go back and listen to that show from the archive. So um, let me tell you a little bit about um, the show today. Now, 75% of screen time today is spent on connected devices. Digital strategies have therefore moved at front and center of most marketing plans. But what if that's not enough? What if most people ignore company messages? Uh, Jeffrey Cologne is a really compelling voice, and he, he sits at the intersection of marketing, technology, and popular culture. He's also a DJ. He describes himself as a, as a data punk, a podcaster, and an author, and he's a communications designer at Microsoft in, in Redmond. He's written for or been quoted in loads of different media outlets, including Business Insider, Fast Company, The Huffington Post, The Guardian, Wall Street Journal, loads and loads. He's appeared on, uh, on many sort of TV shows as well, on Cheddar TV and NASDAQ Live, etc. He spent 20 years in various marketing capacities working for and with some of the most influential brands in the world, you know, brands like Red Bull and Spotify, Netflix, American Express, The Economist, Coca-Cola, IBM, I'm getting out of breath here. And he spent a few years in the, uh, the New, York, in New York City tech startup world as well. And also several years in the music industry working with some really high profile musical um, artists such as Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, the White, Aguilera, the White Stripes and Moby. So uh, we're going to be really interesting today to talk to, to Jeffrey about uh, disruptive marketing, uh, which is the title of his uh, new book. So, a huge welcome today to Jeffrey Cologne. Hey, Chris, thanks for having me. Uh, you're very welcome. Uh, a, r- a real pleasure. So, yeah, tell us a little bit, uh, Jeremy, Jeffrey. Sorry, uh, where are you originally from, and and what was life like growing up for you? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in Eastern Pennsylvania, outside Philadelphia, uh, in a steel town known as Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. 
Uh, interesting place, almost similar to growing up in the Midlands of uh, the UK, places like uh, Birmingham. Um, you know, a lot of industry, uh, not a lot of opportunity in terms of uh, what those industries, I think, provided. Uh, but also a flourishing arts scene because sort of nestled in between Philadelphia and New York wasn't that far away. Uh, you know, artists have a tendency of going to sort of retreats that are outside the city to, you know, work on their uh, work, whatever it might be, whether it's in the fine arts or writing or painting. So that was the one, I think, thing that I really enjoyed about growing up. Uh, my dad was an economics professor. My mom was a psychologist. I guess uh, the apple hasn't fallen too far from uh, the tree in terms of uh, the things that I'm really into, which is a combination of both math and uh, human behavior. I can, uh, yeah, I can kind of picture uh, where you grew up in in some respects. I, I am actually from uh, a place called Scunthorpe, which uh, is uh, one of the, you know the biggest steel towns, really. In um, steel producers, sorry, in the UK. So my dad worked in the steel industry. And I used to labour in there, doing really horrendous jobs as a student. Uh, <laughs> a few pounds I could clear off, uh, leave the place and go travelling <laughs> in my holidays. Um, so um, so you came from this sort of, yeah, yeah quite a, an interesting um, background with your parents. So was it your parents that got you interested in marketing? Um, I think it was my parents that just got me into being curious and open to you know, a lot of different experiences. I mean, I was really into playing sports, but I was also really into art. Uh, I loved science. Um, you know, I loved astronomy. I think that was my favorite subject. I've always really been into technology. My mom introduced me to my first computer when I was in fourth grade. Uh, it was an Apple IIc. Um, you know, really pushed for that type of education for me. I think at an at an early age, um, uh, our our home was filled with tons of books. My, you know, dad is a college professor. You don't really make a lot of money, but I remember him saying, you know, uh, money is not the always the most important thing. Autonomy is the most important thing. The ability to actually make uh, interesting decisions, set your own schedule. Uh, work on passion projects that are important to you. Um, but, uh, you know, I was really into music, I think, also at a, at an age where um, I think that was my sort of first delving into being an entrepreneur uh, or small business owner. Um, and that really got me into marketing because they almost go hand in hand, um, Chris. You know, I mean, you launch a business, but you almost need communication to help that business thrive no matter what size it what size it is. And, um, I had taught myself Photoshop and page maker and lots of different Adobe programs in college on a Mac, uh, that, uh, existed in our, uh, uh, newspaper, uh, newsroom. And, uh, you know, one of the few people to show curiosity in terms of like, Hey, I'll lay out the newspaper. And they're like, Oh, okay. Not a lot of people really want to learn this software. I learned it and then, um, found like a company that was selling sound equipment and I couldn't afford it, but I said, hey, I'll barter with you. I will, uh, you know, do you do, do you do ads anywhere? And they're like, oh, yeah, we do them in like all these trade magazines and we pay like an agency a lot of money to do the design. And I was like, I'll do the design of all your ads if after a certain point what that would cost, you give me this equipment. So, you know, the world we're in, you know, now that my parents really prepared me for is, one where you collaborate a lot more, you barter a lot more, 
you figure things out, you know, a lot more um, because not everybody has the resources, but I think, you know, they have the thinking to share these sort of systems of engagement. And that's, I think, where, you know, where we sit right now. So it's sort of fascinating how my parents, I think, you know, prepared me for the 21st century back, uh, you know, as early as the, you know, 70s and 80s. Yeah, such an important uh, subject, the whole aspect of engagement. It's something I feel very passionate about from a people aspect. And it's so important today with regards to marketing communication, isn't it, to be to be able to engage. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's no longer a one-way street. So, you know, the whole discussion that I think I hear companies talking about, you know, this is the narrative we want to drive. This is the uh, points we want to get across. Uh, you know, it's antiquated speaking. It should be, you know, this is the conversation that we want to drive because a narrative is is a very one-way linear way of thinking of communications you say and then everyone does that's just not how we behave anymore most people you say and then they converse with you on you know their thoughts on different topics and that should be information that you take in terms of you know what you, what uh, you know systems you create for them what experiences you create for them uh, basically, you know, how you work more in tandem with the people who actually, you, you know, thrive with your business, whether you're a small business or a multinational corporation. I mean, these are systems that uh, they're not going away. These these communication platforms exist, especially because if you think about it, Chris, what drives technology? It's almost all communications. That's what Facebook is. That's what Google is. That's what Bing is. That's what you know Microsoft uh, Office is. That's what Twitter is. These are all communication tools. So I always find it interesting when people say communication does not matter. It's like, well, mm. yeah, I mean, the whole economy is built on it now, especially because we've moved really more from a knowledge era into more of a creative economy in terms of how we sort of put all these different systems together to create new, uh, you know, economies. And, uh, I mean, that's really where we are right now. And it's, on, and it's only picking up pace and, and going to get uh, even more interesting as, as we move through the next couple of years with quantum computing and artificial intelligence and augmented reality. Um, you know, we, we haven't seen anything yet. And, and, and uh, well, yeah, we can talk um, a little bit about the future. Um, you've obviously worked with all of the some, some great companies. Um, did you work with them as a, in sort of consultancy capacity or was it as a, an employee with uh, people like that? Yeah, it was, it was mainly a consultancy. I mean, I worked uh, mainly at agencies where these companies were, uh, you know, we were their agency of record. Yeah. You worked, you know, direct with their marketing team. Uh, sometimes you worked with maybe the C-suite, um, maybe you worked with operations or, or, or strategy. Um, you know, companies are always looking to get an edge. Um, there are some companies that are just, you know, more brilliant in terms of the people they employ uh, who take more risk, who, you know, want more challenges, who want to constantly find where uh, things are going in terms of how we communicate. And then you have other companies that, you know, will always play catch up. It's just in their DNA. It's the business they might be in. Um, you know, and those are industries like banking or finance, but those are about to go through rapid change. So I've been talking with a lot more people at companies like that, you know, JP Morgan Chase, John Hancock, uh, Prudential, invest, you know, finance companies or insurance companies and saying, you know, 
you're about to go through, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, a disruptive period that um, publishing media and music have already gone through. Uh, and some say, well, tell me more. And um, others say, no, nah, these are boring industries. They're built a certain way. They're highly regulated. Again, Chris, you know, that doesn't mean anything in this era. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in terms of, of uh, the velocity of change in, in those industries, as well as the velocity of change in fields like education, healthcare. Um, you know, the technology is changing all of these, uh, you know, I think it's interesting. Entertainment is always the first to be affected because that's really what we had used the web for what we had used communication for the most. And now we want, uh, that change to seep through into other areas where, uh, we want, you know, we want change. And, um, you know, it, it's interesting. I'm at advertising week, New York, you know, while I'm speaking to you and not one session was on blockchain this week. And I think that was a lost opportunity. And I'm not one to say I'm an expert in this area because I'm still trying to learn about it myself. But that, that, that basically is a technology or that are, you know, sort of an infrastructure that gets rid of all the sort of middle areas of the web. You won't have to necessarily use an Amazon or a Facebook or a LinkedIn or any sort of, you know, middle entity. What, you know, what ramifications will that have in terms of business. These are things I think we have to talk more about uh, rather than what we talk about now in marketing, which is, hey, if you do X, you'll get Y, or if you do A, you get B. Um, you know, I think a lot of the people that read my book, they either loved it or hated it, and I noticed that the people who really hated it just didn't like the fact they didn't have answers for a lot of things. And I think the reason I don't is because I'm still open to the fact that the world is just changing around us. And I'm, yeah. I, you have to be open to that. You have to be a learn-it-all, not a know-it-all. And I, I think that's a very important uh, uh, philosophy that uh, Satya Nadella, who is the CEO of uh, Microsoft Drives now, it's not enough to know everything because you can't know everything. It's better to be open and say, I don't have the answer to all this, but I'm just trying to figure it out on my, you know, myself. Uh, and uh, you, obviously you... you uh work with Microsoft now I'm just kind of kind of intrigued you know what is what is their sort of market space and their their, their vision and intention uh, and you know how are you helping them with the marketing that you do yeah I mean there's three areas the company is really uh, looking into and moving into um, the first would be artificial intelligence um, this is a you know a very large area that the company um, is uh, taking uh, sort of huge leaps and bounds into. And the reason why is because the way we engage with software is radically different from how we've engaged with it the last 30 years. There's the ability now for um, most uh, spelling mistakes, let's say in a Word document, to correct themselves uh, due to artificial intelligence. That's sort of at the low end of the spectrum mm -hmm. as an example. Uh, but, you know, you also have the ability for PowerPoint to figure out what photos to integrate into um, a deck that you build. Uh, that's, you know, again, understanding what you're trying to communicate. Artificial intelligence, I think, you know, it's a lot of people have a tendency of thinking, you know, the Terminator, or we're going to build a machine that can think. Mm -hmm. That's that's strong AI. That is very difficult to build 
not impossible, but difficult to build because we don't understand the entire inner workings of the mind yet. Uh, neurosurgeons don't even, our neuroscientists don't even understand uh, the deep parts of the brain. So you'd have to understand that before you can actually build a machine that can think on its own. Where artificial intelligence will have the most effect is applied AI. Hey, I have an expense report. No problem. You don't have to fill anything in. Just you know, upload all your receipts. Artificial intelligence programs will handle all that and submit it for you. Hey, I, I work at an agency. The thing I loathe the most is doing timesheets, but I have to do it. No worry. We have an app. You basically turn it on when you're in the office. You turn it off. Uh, the AI systems figure all that out in terms of what clients you have worked for. These are applied systems that actually will allow us to be more productive, allow us to be more creative. It'll take away a lot of the mundane tasks in society. Of course, we have to have ethical conversations about this. And this is what's important, I think, at Microsoft, where we, you know, we, we think about this quite a bit. It isn't like, hey, let's just build things to build things, but it's well, what will the ramifications for society be? And I think the the you know that's those are questions we we need to be having as we sort of move into this next wave. The second area that's important for the company is mixed reality or augmented reality. Uh, we see this with technologies like Hololens, but we also see it basically in how we use our mobile phone to unlock uh, AR enabled experiences. A billboard that is somewhere, let's say, in the city of London, even that is AR enabled, it can unlock entirely new experiences that are not uh, uh, unlockable through 2D alone. Uh, if you add in geolocation and uh, sort of engagement, that changes the way that we communicate. Uh, it changes the way that we design our, uh, our sort of infrastructures. It's, it changes how we design society. Uh, in terms of how we build smarter cities or, you know, to take my old client's uh, IBM's uh, wor- verbiage, how we build, you know, a smarter planet. Um, wow. You know, and then the third area is uh, quantum computing. And this is, um, you know, an area I think everyone is still trying to understand. But um, it's not a new area that Microsoft had uh, just gotten into. I mean, this goes back 20 years, Chris, where... Bill Gates, when he started Microsoft Research in, uh, I believe, 1995, they really looked into, you know, how do you speed up computing so that uh, we get to faster decisions? So if you think about um, right now, you may pro- you may have a program that it's trying to solve for a problem. It has to solve for that problem by basically deploying one answer at a time. Quantum computing could deploy like one million answers at a time, so you actually speed up uh, uh, problem solving. This is going to help in areas like climate change. Uh, It's going to help in areas like urban planning. Uh, It's going to help in areas like uh, where should we spend uh, infrastructure uh, money. This, you know, quantum computing, if you align that with societal change for good, that could be a really interesting area for uh, the world at large. Um, so these are the three areas that the company is 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 obviously um, really engaged with. And of course, we have um, a lot of different sort of ecosystems. We have a, a, a search business with Bing. We have a you know future of workplace with Office. We have our cloud computing uh, ecosystem with Azure. But um, you know the, the, those sort of three areas are that uh, you know Satya has laid out for us are really 
uh, areas that are emerging that we have to pay attention to uh, for the next five to 10 years, because those are the ones that will radically change how we live right now. Jeffrey, hugely um, uh you know, inspirational, exciting as well, and you know, great yeah. and to put that lens on of, of doing it for good because things like AI can uh, almost start at the extreme levels uh, can be something that you can fear. Um, so um, thank you for sharing that. We've got to go to commercial break now, um, and after the break, uh, you know, I really want to get into you know disruptive, disruptive marketing, what it is, uh, and and into your book. But uh, thank you for that. That uh, was really fascinating, Jeffrey. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the business elevation show with your host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk that's chris at chriscooper.co.uk now back to chris cooper Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Jeffrey Cologne. We're talking about disruptive marketing. Uh, before the break, uh, Jeffrey was uh, sharing uh, the three areas that Microsoft are working on. It really left me feeling very encouraged about technology, actually, um, when you know, things like AI can seem uh, very uh, scary at the extreme. Um, I want to move on to the book now. And your book, Jeff, is called Disruptive Marketing, What Growth Hackers, Data Punks, and Other Hybrid Thinkers Can Teach Us About Navigating the New Normal. So what is disruptive marketing? What are growth hackers, data punks, and other hybrid thinkers? (laughs) Well, you know, think of creative destruction, Um, you know, the way marketing had been done for a long period of time, almost going back to the original uh, Persian markets, you created demand for whatever your product or service was, and then um, people bought it. Uh, They had no say. They had no uh, feedback. 
they had no ability to communicate to to tell you, uh, hey, you know, I, I I got this and it wasn't that good, and maybe could you do this or could you improve it in this area? Because of all of our communication and systems of engagement, what uh, what we've disrupted is the one way conversation, uh, and what we are creating are more is more of a feedback loop that uh, digital companies have really been able to take advantage of. You build something, it's a minimum viable product for those who are familiar with uh, the Lean Startup book by Brad Reese. And you take in feedback based on user experience as well as uh, through qualified uh, qualitative data uh, by talking to people and watching how they behave to build better products and services. So they are actually helping to build you know, your ecosystem, your product in tandem as not just a customer, but almost as like an ally, a partner. Uh, and this is something that, of course, the you know digital companies have done, but now it's moving into all types of services where people provide much more feedback. They may even chip in and help in some areas through user-generated content. Uh, they may shoot your next commercial for you because they are such a big fan of your uh, company. You know, in the past, companies didn't like that. That was not their narrative. That was not their creative. That's not, you know, that didn't fit their brand voice. Companies that are much more cutting edge now will say, and I, you know, actually learned this from Coca-Cola of all companies. We, we want that type of feedback. We want people sharing things that are uh, interesting about it. And companies are even okay with uh, realizing that there is negativity toward them because, if everybody is doing things positive, then you're not learning anything. You know, there are, com- there are people who are not going to like what, you, uh, what services you provide, what your business does, etc. It's important to be open and listen to them, to, be, you know, to not just say, oh, well, what do you know? You're not even, a f- you know, you'll never use our products and write those people off. As we know, uh, Chris, now from a lot of uh, research, people are not loyal as much as they were at one time. So if you write them off and say, well, you know, who cares what those people have to say? You're actually alienating them in ways that uh, they could end up being a fan of yours down the line if you build something interesting and unique. We're all open to being basically these, you know, non-loyal customers now uh, with, you know, that will switch at, uh, you know, sort of in, in, in in a quick time frame to use different products and services as long as those as long as it allows us to get things done. So that's really what I tried to get into the book and talked about, you know, how to adapt that philosophy. Uh, growth hacking is just one area in terms of, you know, how to do that. How do you build something quick and set up a quick feedback loop so you can get data quickly and actually uh, integrate that into your uh, product. A data punk is someone that is able to take lean data or small bits of data and actually turn it into actionable insights. The reason that I, uh, I don't know if I created the term, I think someone else, I can't remember his name, had used it in a blog post a couple of years ago, but I really love the name, is because if we thought of, if we think about, you know, punk rock movements in music, these were people who were not professionally trained musicians. But they formed bands and they, they sort of changed people's lives. That's what a data punk does. They don't, they're, you know, they're not, you know, hey, I'm a big data analyst with a PhD in mathematics. They're basically people who see things through the larger data and they're like, 
this is what we're going to actually go and do. And a great example uh, that I use in the book is, uh, you know, Clayton Christensen had done some uh, interesting studies on people who were buying milkshakes at a restaurant, a drive through restaurant in the morning. And they were wondering why people were buying milkshakes because, you know, who's going to drink a milkshake at eight o'clock in the morning? But a data punk looked at that and said, well, of course they're buying that. That's the only thing they can hold in their hands when they drive to work. They can't unwrap like an egg and cheese sandwich and eat it in their car. Mm. So they actually then offered healthy alternatives like smoothies and they sold that even more. So that's what a data punk does. They see things that others can't because they're not mired down in like the world of like, well, we have to analyze a bunch of stuff and take no action on it. Uh, the world is all about action now. It's about, you know, doing things for the sake of doing them to see how they'll actually, uh, you know, how you can test and learn. I mean, that's why artists do things. I think that's what's missing in our world is this sort of hybrid of artists meeting scientists. And, you know, this is not new. This existed during the Renaissance. We're going to undergo this again because of the ability to learn things and have a lot of indirect education, etc. And uh, I'm really excited about it. I think, uh, you know, the, we, we now have the ability to learn about a lot of different things and sort of, you know, build uh, entirely new sort of systems out of all this information. Mm. Um, a word that I particularly... Uh, learned a number of years ago uh, in, in something that I read, which I really liked, was uh, was symphony. The idea of bringing sort of disparate ideas and concepts together from different sources, and then you know bring them together into a you know coherent whole. It feels like you know you're probably you know doing that from you know working and having I mean, worked in the world of music and uh, and seeing um, you know where that operates and you know Coke and cola and places like that, and, and bringing these ideas together um, into into something. New. Yeah, I mean, I was, I mean, music definitely helped me. Being a DJ helped me because you were taking like two sources and mixing them together and creating something entirely new, as you said, Chris. I mean, I think people who are into remix culture and a lot of younger people, you know, are into it because this is just how they've grown up, you know, realize this mixes with this to create something, you know, but, you know, new. Uh, you know, I, I like to make a lot of points to on LinkedIn, you know, with, sort of the people who follow me there, that everything is a remix. And, uh, you know, including me using that phrase, there's another person who created that phrase uh, and did like a whole sort of film analogy on it. You know, nothing is really brand new. Humans are not good at original 100% ideas. We're good at taking from older ideas and building new th new things out of those older ideas. We're better at remixing than original production, to use that analogy. Mm. And then and there's this whole area of kind of a, adapting. I, I, when you were talking there about um, you know things changing and having to having to adapt, I was thinking about you know all the I spent years going to rock concerts, you know, and you know, you know there was I remember many years ago to going to a rock concert and being made to sit down by a bouncer, and then then it was you know people were getting expelled because they had phones in their bags, and that was all kind of banned, <laughs> and you know, and 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 it's even so sometimes today, um, you know, uh, people aren't happy at events if you've got you're taking a, a picture or you're taking some video, but actually. Right. By adapting, you know, the fact that people are putting video out and they're putting pictures out and saying what a great time they had, actually, that's really helpful, isn't it? It's, it's very helpful. I mean, it's how most uh, ideas spread. I mean, and again, this isn't a new idea. If we look at the turn of the century in Europe, the reason medical research spread so quick on the continent is because 
people were physically close together. So if there were researchers working on, you know, how do we cure this one ailment? And they were in France. They would share that with other scientists in Germany who would share that with other scientists in Spain who, and then other scientists in England. I, I, that would share quickly for that time period. Now these things are shared even faster because the world is much more uh, connected. I mean, I like to also use the analogy Franklin Foer talks about it in his book, uh, How Soccer Explains the World. Why does the world play all a similar style of football? Because they've shared that learning much quicker. That's why the even the, the the Brazil team doesn't play Brazilian soccer anymore, Chris. They play the European style. You, you take one or two touches, you pass. It's a much quicker and rapid game. And that has spread around the world because that has been learned to be more efficient and work better. Uh, ideas just spread much quicker now. And I think we need to utilize that if we're going to solve some of the world's bigger issues uh, as well as, you know, we need to utilize that if we want to actually change how we market, which was really a, hey, let's take a long slog at everything and, you know, build a five-year plan. Most businesses don't have five years to, uh, you know, to basically invest in. They have to sort of prove their value quickly. Yeah, I, 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 um, w w something that really um, surprised me last year, how things have, uh, you know, moved on. Um, I was at a football match with my son and we... We held a banner up and found ourselves um, live on a at a big um, a big football game between I think it was Leicester and Manchester City. Um, <laughs> I got a photograph of me taken from a TV screening in Kenya by a Maasai warrior friend of mine who actually was watching it, took a photo, and then sent the picture to me. And I had that picture within about five minutes of actually going live around the world on the the TV from a uh, Maasai warrior in Kenya. I just that's that crazy. <laughs> In fact, with the face of it waving, you know, it's just incredible. Um, so, uh, so um, what are, what are the ca characteristics then of a, you know, a a really great marketeer today? Because it seems to me that it's not just about, you know, <laughs> about sort of verbal and written communication. All this digital component requires a real kind of analytical sense. So, what what do you say the ideal, you know, a profile of a of a marketing director or vice president or or whatever, what would, what would they look like? Well, I think the first thing is they're open to experimentation. They're highly curious. They are, uh, they don't uh, ever say, well, we can't do that because, you know, that's not how we operate. So they're, you know, they have to be open to new ideas. Uh, the marketing uh, is about to change once again. I mean, I actually think what's funny is I wrote this book and I think it's actually could be maybe antiquated soon based on the fact that there's a whole new wave that's coming, mainly because of uh, the two areas that I'd spoken about uh, earlier in the program. Artificial intelligence, that's going to change a lot in terms of how marketing is going to operate. And augmented reality, uh, you know, that's going to change a lot of how marketing is going to operate because we've almost put a huge emphasis on online and, and, and digital ecosystems. And, you know, you even have people writing articles like traditionals dead. There's no need to invest in anything in the physical space. And I sort of respond to a lot of those people and say, it must be fun to live inside your computer. And they're like, what are you talking about? I live in the real world. I said, exactly. And this is, that's the area that's actually going to grow again. Uh, JC Oliver, who was, uh, 
uh, at Microsoft for many years and, and happened to be the chief creative officer at Oath, uh, came up with a term called fidgetal. It's where physical and digital actually intermingle. And that is going to be heavily driven by Generation Z. I have two daughters, six and eight. They don't look at the world the way that you and I might look at it. They don't say, oh, I live in a, you know, there's a physical space and there's a digital space. No, there's life. Mm -hmm. They look at all of this as one. And they don't think of Alexa as weird because you talk to it. Like, you know, we might think it's weird because we're like, oh, you know, I'd rather type my search query. To them, they don't type yet, Chris. They don't know how to type yet. They, don't, mm. they, won't, they won't learn that until maybe they're 12. Though they like to type, you know, lots of different weird emojis and send them to me. And I always laugh because it's, you know, sort of crazy. But mm. um, they, you know, they, so the way they communicate is radically different. And I think, uh, you know, so for leaders, being curious, having lots of different diversity and inclusivity on your team is very important uh, because people all have different backgrounds and experiences. I mean, Steve Jobs said it best. You need people who have lots of different experiences. And I don't mean work experience necessarily. It's not like, oh, by the way, I have this hard skill. I should get the job. I'm talking about people who've like traveled the world, have grown up poor, have struggled, those are people you want on your team now because they look at the world radically different than maybe a person who's like, I sort of got everything, you know, easy, you know, and, and got here and now I run sort of like, you know, control of everything. I also think 100% analytical minds are not the best marketers now. I think it's that hybrid. I think it's people who like design but understand, you know, hey, what is, what is that going to do to actually drive specific numbers and what are those numbers that we monitor i think there's still a lot of questions on what are the key performance indicators i think a lot of people try to make that one size fits all it can't every business is different and unique so you're going to measure different uh different things right now in the world everybody is their own sort of chief information officer so to speak our it professional when it comes to being a marketer you're going to use different tools you're going to measure different things you're going to have different creative but that's what's going to make you uni unique that's what's going to make you stand out that's what's going to make people actually go wow i really enjoy that company i really like what they make they just are radically different from like what how other people do it. They're their own unique self, very much like how we operate as people. You remember people who are the most unique, are different, uh, are out of the ordinary because they stand out. That's where business, I think, needs to go. Marketing needs to go. It's uh, long overdue. Yeah, I think um, we had Wendy Keller, who, who uh, I know you uh, know well, um, on the show recently, and you know we were spending a lot of time talking about um, your ideal avatar in terms of your customer, and I suspect you know you can focus a lot on numbers, but actually you also need to be really interested in people. I think, uh, and maybe care about people. I, I suspect, um, not just the data. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've, you know, Google did a study in terms of, you know, who operates, you know, the most efficiently. And uh, there's the, it was surprising to them, wasn't surprising to me who, you know, I score high when it comes to like, you know, liking to be around people and socializing. You know, the teams that really care about each other as people perform best. The teams that are very, very centered on what are the results perform the worst. Uh, because you're just driven by numbers rather than really driven by motivation around, you know, human behavior. Uh, and until machines start talking to other machines, 
you know, we're still talking to people. We're still communicating with people. We're still trying to get them to feel a specific way. Um, and that, I think, is lost on a lot of marketers. We, you know, the last couple of years, the pendulum has really swung heavily toward performance marketing. And, uh, you know, before that, it was heavily in the creative area. I think what's going to happen is the pendulum is going to swing back to the middle where we need those hybrids. And this is what, what I really wrote about in the book. You know, we need people who are analytical and creative. Uh, that is a very hard thing to do, too. That means you have to use both sides of your brain equally. And, of course, we use both sides of our brain. If we didn't, we wouldn't be able to function. But, you know, some people are a little more left-brained. Some people are a little more right-brained. You know, how do you, you know, how do you even that out? How do you become more of a Renaissance woman in, uh, in society? And I use that term, too, because that term has not existed. Because back in the day of Da Vinci, women weren't allowed to be educated. I think the most interesting marketers I, I meet now and the ones who have been my mentors have been women who basically have said, you know, I've had to deal with a bunch of, you know, uh, you know, r- roadblocks. I'm going to go take chances. I'm not going to play it safe because what do I have to lose? And uh, a lot of those marketers are out there. Linda Boff, who's the chief marketing officer at GE, she's probably one of the most interesting people ever. I'm a huge fan of hers. Uh, Susan Canavari, who's at JP Morgan Chase, uh, my old president, uh, uh, Sarah Hofstetter at 360i. I mean, they just take chances. Uh, Gemma Craven over at McCann. Uh, you know, I, I just like a lot of these people. I'm not trying to turn it into a, an identity thing. It's not like, you know, men can't be good marketers, but I think there's a lot to learn from, uh, what people have to go through. And it's not just about the, the analytics anymore, Chris, it's really about, you know, both. Jeffrey, we're going to go to commercial break again now. Um, everybody. Um, so we'll be back again in just a couple of minutes and we're going to find out, you know, more after the break about, you know, how do marketing functions start to adapt to these these developments and um we'll, we'll have a chat about different age groups we started to talk there about um generation z um generation z i think we, we'd say over here um in the in europe um so we'll come and talk about some of those things again in just a couple of minutes from the boardroom to you voice america business network Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network.
You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Jeffrey Cologne. We're talking about disrupted marketing. And um, Jeffrey, what I'd like to um, sort of ask now, you know, are there... Are there any sort of key trends that we've not discussed and uh, and also, you know, with relating to um, what's happening in this change, how do marketing functions sort of best cope with it? Yeah, I mean, I think the interesting trend is uh, one that's been around for the last couple of years but keeps picking up steam, and that is this idea of uh, do-it-yourself culture. Uh, and what we mean by this is, Uh, You have marketing departments with lots of money at big companies, let's say. Smaller companies, radically different. They have no money, but they're scrappy. And what's happening is um, customers, especially younger customers, Generation Z specifically, are looking at things and saying, this is not me at all. Doesn't look like me. Doesn't sound like me. And it's just made by it's it's almost too professional looking. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is crazy to say this, but I you know talk a lot about this in the book as well. It doesn't look user generated. And what's happening at a lot of these marketing departments is their size is giving them a disadvantage now. You know, I gave a talk recently where I said, uh, you know, mass media, big media, big data, big oil, anything big is at a disadvantage now because it's almost like we're not meant to live in a scaled society. We're meant to almost live in a, you know, sort of smaller uh, subcultures, uh, people that, you know, we're, we bond to based off of interests, our culture, our, you know, other identities. And this is, uh, this is, th- this is difficult for, for large companies because they, they're not set up to operate that way. They're set up for scale. Um, you know, when people say like, oh, retail is dying. No, mass retail is, is having trouble, struggling. Uh, when people say, you know, media is, you know, totally, you know, going away, mass media is having trouble. Niche areas are actually flowing. They're, they're doing very, very well. So one of the things I've been trying to talk more to marketers is what is your niche? We're never taught that when it comes to business. We're always taught, you know, how you take something and scale it and make it massive. Um, and I think what we have to start to think about is, you know, how do we make things that are just like sustainable? You may only have 10,000 customers, but those 10,000 customers actually keep you alive. It's yeah. no different, Chris, than the turn of the last century. The turn of the last century, my great-grandparents came from Italy and they all were small business owners and they all did that because they loved doing it but they and they were able to sustain themselves they never got rich off of it they you know barely were able to really buy a home with it uh, with what they did but they were they had sustainable businesses they knew every person that came to their business that's the area we're getting into again you have to know who the people are rather than just big numbers and you have to uh, allow them to help you sustain the business by being involved in it 
even if they're a customer. And that, and and this the way that we communicate has bro- has blurred the lines of differentiation between who's an employee and who is a customer, so to speak. It's what we call the conjoint effect. That's actually something I'm trying to write about in my second book uh, that I'm trying to work on right now. You know how we actually. Uh, all act like one another because of the fact that we live in physical spaces and online together and we learn from each other much quicker. But DIY media is massive. And I wish more brands would uh, realize going and cutting that corporate-looking video that's high production that, you know, uh, you're trying to tell your story with uh, the typical storyline arc, it's not going to work anymore. We were talking um, about um, DIY media before the break. So, uh, Jeffrey, we've only got about two or three minutes left now. But um, do you want to just uh, just share for a, a minute what you were really talking around? And yeah, that? yeah. I mean, I think what I was talking about is you know trends to watch. I mean, DIY media. The more we think about, the more we think about it. Uh, you know, the more we want to really uh, not make things so polished, so to speak, not make things look so. Um, you know, corporate, for lack of a better term, really try to, you know, speak in a way that's like less filtered. Uh, and that's a hard thing to, to do, Chris, when we're so used to um, media looking so good. Uh, but but uh, people don't believe media that looks polished. That's the, that's the thing that uh, we have to learn now as marketers. Uh, and that's definitely a trend that, I, that uh, people are not picking up on. Marketers are not picking up, up on enough. I think that's a really, really great point. And I think you know, if you see somebody speaking in an event and it's, it's rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed and they're not really engaging with the audience, you, you can tell that it's, uh, it's something they've kind of practiced and it's kind of coming from ego rather than you know, uh, coming from uh, you know, a, a space of it being us here together. And I think you're right about some of the, the corporate polish stuff. It just doesn't emotionally resonate as being you know, true and... Uh, and high integrity does it it's it's almost as though it's um there to kind of catch you yeah i mean we have a tendency of um you know trying to interrupt people with these most polished things rather than setting up um experiences for them that are less polished and that deal with a lot of uh that have a lot of mistakes in them i mean good example you know, we were doing this live and there was a slight uh, disruption, so to speak, in our signal being able to talk. I mean, that's authentic. People deal with that every day when they have dropped calls or, uh, you know, don't get an email or whatever it might be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, and, um, you know, that's the reality that you say the world isn't um, perfectly, isn't perfect, you know. So um, let's, um, I mean, what do we... Um, What's your view around analytics and tracking? How should people, you know, do that today? Yeah, I mean, I think the most important thing in terms of analytics and tracking is, you know, what do you want to track and how does that line back to your business? There's a tendency of many people to think that business is uh, is about how much money you're going to make, but you need signals sometimes that, um, you know, help map to that. So if you don't know what your brand health index is, um, you can do all the marketing in the world and it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to, you know, uh, generate revenue. Uh, The most important thing I think is for brands to understand and businesses to understand 
you know, how healthy are they out there? How many people are talking with them? What kind of feedback do you get? How much of it is positive? How much is neutral? How much is it of it is negative? Uh, these are all uh, things we should be measuring, you know, word of mouth. How much word of mouth is, is, is our companies generating for themselves? Mainly because the systems of communication that we have aren't going to go away. Uh, they're here to stay. In fact, they'll probably become more elaborate as, uh, as time goes on, uh, become even more interactive as AR picks up, as voice uh, picks up, as more of these enablement uh, uh, services pick up. Jeff, we've got about a minute, a minute left now until I need to wrap up. But I wonder, do you have a final message or two that you'd like to leave us with? Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, being open to every experience that you can make yourself open to. Um, you know, if people say, hey, like, which, are you willing to try this? And you're, ah, I don't know if I want to try that. Say yes a little bit more to those experiences. Last, you know, d don't, don't say no as much. Uh, so I think it's important to not say no uh, and be more open to just like, radical ideas, things that uh, people might uh, possibly laugh at you for first, but then later they'll realize, wow, that, you know, you were on to something. Um, I think that's the way you really, you know, really stand out in this day and age is not by just uh, mirroring the crowd, but swimming ahead of the crowd. Uh, it's a lovely way to end. Uh, Jeffrey, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Um, so you've enjoyed being on the show. Um, so, yeah, wish you well with everything that you do and um, look forward to that new book as well that you're writing. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Uh, if you want to find out more about Jeffrey uh, Cologne, you can go to uh, jeffreycologne.net. That's um, Jeffrey, um, G-O-F-F-R-E-Y-C-O-L-O-N.net. Uh, if you want to buy a copy of Disruptive Marketing, which, um, of course, we'd recommend, uh, go to Amazon.com and you can access that. Um, on the next show, um, we have um, the uh, International Olympic Committee member, uh, the first African-American and first American woman ever to be, become a member of the International Olympic Committee, Anita de Franz. And she's going to be sharing with me um, some of the lessons from her life, her Olympic life. Um, uh, around her new book um, which is called My Olympic Life so do join us uh, next week and uh, you'll be able to hear uh, Anita de Franz but once again I wish you all well and a huge thank you to Jeffrey Cologne We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.